today is Friday and we have some news for you, a lot of sports news. So we're looking at one situation where Master P's son, a high, a star high school basketball player, is reportedly considering HBCUs. HBCU schools. Also, NBA rumors. This Rockets trade. This Rockets Bucks trade would pair Westbrook with whom? Well, you have to tune into the show to find out. And also, much more. What really led to the firing of Doc Rivers? There are conflicting stories as to why he was let go. And also, Emmett Smith looking at possibly coaching alongside Deion Sanders. We got all of that and lots more coming up on Ace Transports Talk Podcast. You want to stay tuned. Welcome into another edition of the Ace Transports Talk Podcast on a Friday on October the 2nd on a chilly Friday here in the city of Wichita, Kansas, where I'm doing this from. I want to go ahead and get things started as you heard in the intro of the show, Master P's son, a star high school basketball recruit, reportedly considering an HBCU. Master P's son, Mercy Miller, could be the next top recruit to consider attending an HBCU. On September 30th, Miller and his family announced that he received an offer to play basketball at Hampton University. Miller, a six foot four freshman point guard at Minnesota's Minaha Academy High School is currently the number three ranked player in the class of 2024, according to Coast to Coast Preps. Following the recent uprisings across the nation, several highly recruited athletes have considered changing the landscape of sports by shunning PWIs, which is predominantly white institutions, for HBCUs. On Friday, July 3rd, 2020, Makura Maker sent a profound message by committing to play basketball at Howard University, according to HBCU Game Day. So, there you have the opening of my show centering in on HBCUs. Because if you remember at the onset when I started this, the name of this podcast was Shocker Talk or something like that. And the name A-Train stuck with me due to the fact that calling to a local radio station, a guy named Scott Styles and one of his buddies that called into the show that Scott used to work for, named Wildman Willie, gave me the name of the A-Train. Well, then I would sit in with another good friend of mine on this evening show. His name was Rick Thomas at the same station, and his show was called Run the Table. Well, every time I walked in, I was tapped. Well, the A-Train has just stepped into the building. So I transitioned from Shocker Talk to A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. But in my beginning, I said I would talk a lot about HBCU schools because I know in this part of the region, we don't hear about it. So why not bring it to light? Why not shine some spotlight on there? Well, recently, as you know, Deion Sanders just became coach of Jackson State University. 
And in so doing that, a lot of steam is built up. He said he was going to assemble him a cast of coaches that would have multiple experience, you know, NFL experience and whatnot. Well, how about this one right here? NFL star running back. Emmett Smith hints at coaching with Deion Sanders at Jackson State University. Legendary NFL defensive back Deion Sanders is officially a college football coach. Football is a officially a college football head coach, but he won't be joined by one of his former Dallas Cowboy teammates. Sanders, who starred in the NFL from 1989 to 2005 as the head football coach at Jackson State, Mississippi. There's been some speculation about Sanders' assistant coaching staff, with some suggesting that former NFL stars could join him in Mississippi. Former Dallas Cowboy running back Emmitt Smith was asked about that possibility the day on an appearance of the Paul Feinbaum show. He says, no, no, I won't, Smith said today. I sent Deion a quick note asking him if he needed a running back coach. But I was really joking. I know he has a staff that's going to put together, he's going to put together to help build that organization into something pretty nice. Something we can look back on one day and say, wow, there is great talent all over the places. He says, I'm proud of the fact that he is at an HBCU school to where he can bring his years of life experiences and help continue to transform young people's lives and minds at that level and perhaps even turn the whole program around because of some of the athletes he may be able to attract to that particular school. It's a wonderful thing. He's a great guy, great Christian man, loves to fish and so forth. So he's probably in the right spot. If you in in the right spot. So there is Emmett hinting but saying no he's not going to join him. But he is confident and endorses Dion being there at Jackson State University. Not only endorses but he feels that Dion will put together a great staff possibly turn that program around and have that pro- make that in other words make that program a household name where people say yeah I know about that school. I've heard that school. I know who their coach is. I know what their track record is. And I think it's time that HBCU schools start getting some of their just due and getting their spotlight and getting their exposure. And that will come in time as players start to look at their options of going to an HBCU school as opposed to going to a PWI school which is predominantly white institution because let's just face it i may say some things in between right now before i go to my next article but let's just face it there's a reason a lot of these kids are talking about pay for play and one of these days we'll have that discussion as well too we'll probably i'll probably get someone on we'll play point counterpoint because everybody's not going to agree what I'm about to say. 
but your average student, a lot of them come from single parent homes, hardly any income in the home. You got one parent working to make ends meet, support the kid through high school so they can get to this point to play college football. College football is a money making machine. These coaches are getting hired in at millions and millions of dollars. And yes, at the end of the day, the coaches have to go out and get the players and put the product on the field. Ticket prices are steady going up. So who is it that the fans are actually paying to see? At the end of the day, if the coach don't put a good product on the field, yes, the fans are going to be calling for the coach's job. But at the end of the day, they're paying to see who's running the ball, who's throwing the ball, who's catching the ball, who's stopping the run, who's stopping the pass. And at best, the majority of your athletes on these fields running around are African-Americans, as we're labeled, are black or brown-skinned people who don't have much income. Well, we know the NCAA have these bylaws. You can't get a job. You can't do this. Well, now they've softened a little bit. If you do autograph signing or your likeness or image, you can get paid for that. In other words, words have been thrown about listening to various talk shows, various analysts saying, these kids are being exploited. To some degree, I have to say I agree with that. Because you're bringing these kids in to entertain on any given Saturday, 75 upwards to 100 plus thousand people in the stadium on a Saturday. You're entertaining them. They're being entertained by the RPOs, run pass options, triple options. 3-4 defense that these kids are going first of all they're going to class then they have practice then they have to look up and see hundreds of thousands of fans in the stands that they have to entertain without getting one then dying well to me it sounds like exploitation and like I said you may or may not agree with what I'm saying but when you listen to the grand scheme of things there are going to be some of you that say, yes, these kids should be getting paid. Some of you are going to be old school and stuck in your old ways and say, well, they're getting a free education. Well, a free education ain't putting a drop of food in my mouth. A free education isn't allowing me, the, isn't affording me the opportunity to go on a movie date. I could go on and I could go on. But you get the point. So, to those who say, or are these kids going there as a publicity stunt? No. They're going there because that's where their heart is being led to go. It's not a PR stunt. It's where their mind is at. Times and circumstances and situations have dictated this is the way 
Think about it. The uprising, the social injustice, the social unrest. I'm hearing Wichita, Kansas, Kansas State University had an episode. Players now of color wants to be somewhere where they feel like they belong. Instead of feeling like, hey, I got to fit in or only reason I'm here is to make this school some more money. So, why not be somewhere where you feel that you belong? In essence, what you're doing is you're helping build that brand, build that program. Imagine a Florida A&M knocking off a school like a Duke in an NCAA tournament. That would almost be on the magnitude of Texas Western when their coach fielded a lineup of all blacks against Kentucky and shocked the world. I have some more news to get to. How about this one right here? The top high school football QB in New York commits to HBCU Grambling State University. Coach Broderick Fobbs and the entire Grambling State University football staff just won a major recruiting battle. Standing at 6 foot 4, 216 pounds, Noah Bolton is the top rated quarterback in the state of New York. He had recently received offers from Power 5 schools such as Oregon, Baylor, Tennessee, Arizona State, and others. Bowden made headlines when he turned down all of those Power 5 schools and committed to Grambling State University instead. He announced his decision and explained his reasoning on his personal YouTube page. So there you have it. I believe the floodgate is opening and Grambling is getting them a good one. Congratulations on your commitment to Grambling, Noah, is what was tweeted out. Could he be? And now maybe I'll be the one to get this one started. Could he be the next Doug Williams to come out of Grambling? Tell you what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to take a break. And when I come back, I will have some more for you. So stay tuned. Train is building up steam. This is the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is your conductor, Anthony Smith. Stay tuned. I have more to come. Okay, and I'm back. And here are some more headlines because even though the Clippers and Doc Rivers have moved on, there just still seems to be more news coming out. Here's one headline that says, Doc Rivers fired because of Michael Porter Jr. 
and Steve Ballmer furious with Clippers front office for tagging MPJ as undraftable. Steve Ballmer, former Microsoft CEO and the owner of the LA Clippers, fired Doc Rivers partly because of Michael Porter Jr. The meltdown of the Clippers against the Nuggets was not well received by Steve Ballmer. Ryan Rosillo and Bill Simmons both heard Ballmer went ballistic after the Clippers blew the league and wanted to fire all coaches and players alike. The frustration is understandable. The Clippers have won only three playoff series since Ballmer took over. Ballmer has spared no expense on the team. He had a very highly paid coaching staff, a star-studded roster, and a highly paid analytics team. <clears throat> Doc Rivers and his team did not listen to the analytics team repeatedly telling them to play Zubac over Harrell, which could have been a key difference maker in the series. Not drafting Michael Porter Jr. led to Ballmer losing trust in the front office. Back in 2018, the Clippers had the number 12 and 13 pick in the draft. They ended up drafting Shea Gilgius Alexander and Jerome Robinson. They traded both of them away. Back then, Steve Ballmer had asked the front office to draft Michael Porter Jr. The front office were of the opinion that MPJ was undraftable. The Denver Nuggets drafted MPJ, and we saw how that turned out. Porter Jr. is a younger, is a young star on the rise, and that just further aggravates Ballmer. Ballmer was familiar with MPJ, both being from Seattle. The future of the Clippers looked bleak. What? would add salt to the wounds is that the Clippers have no young star and considering they've traded away their first round picks for the next eight years, things don't seem so good. Quiet and PG both become free agents next season and with the bench players' contract also expiring soon, things seem messy for the Clippers. They had really gone all out these two seasons with the aspiration to get their first ring. It wouldn't come as a shock if Bomber fires more people, considering how enraged he was. So there you have it. Some more news coming out of the Clippers camp. Why Bomber is furious and makes you wonder if Bomber is going to be more hands-on when it comes to the draft process, seeing that the front office muffed on the MPJ draft. Letting them get away. Because he had a hand in the demise of the LA Clippers. So we'll keep an eye on that. We'll definitely keep an eye on that situation. Looking here Kind of locally, a report coming off of 247sports.com. Ronald Triplett enters NCAA transfer portal. In case you don't know who he is, Ronald Triplett. 
defensive lineman. When Kansas State signed defensive lineman Ronald Triplett to a letter of intent in December of 2019, the program used three words to describe the Parallel Texas product, explosive, powerful, winner. Now, with the 2020 season barely underway, add one more word to describe Triplett, gone. Triplett announced his intention to transfer Wednesday on Twitter by writing, First, I would like to thank Kansas State for recruiting me and giving me an opportunity to play at a high level coming out of high school. Manhattan is an amazing town, and I've made a bunch of great memories. After talking with my family and coaches, I would like to say I've entered my name in the transfer portal. As a freshman, I'm excited to see what comes forward. When reached for comment, Triplett added a little more in the way of details saying in a message to GPC. It was my decision to leave. Great coaching staff, great program. A three-star prospect in his recruiting class rated the number 72 strong side defensive end by 24-7 sports composite. Triplett was part of two Shadow Creek Sharks to commit to Chris Kleiman's program last June alongside linebacker Jay Harris. He selected K-State in part because it was his long Power 5 offer, along with scholarship opportunities at Air Force, Charlotte, Colorado State, FIU, Southern Miss, Tulsa, and Utah State. I chose K-State because I felt like it was the best place for me to go where I could get a chance to play triplet toe GPC last winter. The coaches really believe in me, and Coach Kleiman is a great head coach. Triplett's departure becomes the second in the last week for the 2020 class as fellow Texan DeMarquise Hayes announced he was entering the portal on September 22nd. The exit leaves Felix Anadike and Nate Matlack as the only scholarship freshmen up front for Buddy Wyatt and Mike Tui Asasopo's defensive line. So, it looks like even after the big victory, Kansas State still can't seem to keep players and look like they're getting thinner and thinner along that defensive front. Let's hope something positive comes out of this for all parties. Wish Triplett the best of luck and wish K-State the best of luck moving forward the rest of the season and hopefully they can find something to patch up their defense because it's not going to be easy for them. This week they got Texas Tech in the game that will be featured on Fox. So what's going on at K-State remains to be seen but we will try to get some more information throughout the year as the season unfolds. Moving right along now. Some more NBA rumors. Can anyone imagine Russell Westbrook with Giannis Antetokounmpo, where there's a possible trade. Notice 
just possible, which means this is basically a rumor, okay? But there's the possibility that that could happen. The hypothetical trade. Rockets acquire Brooke Lopez, Eric Bledsoe, DJ Wilson, and Dante DeFacenzo from the Milwaukee Bucks. This is a scenario in which the Bucks would lose depth in exchange for the star power and experience of Westbrook. The other way to make the salaries match would be to keep Lopez, Wilson, and DiVincenzo in Milwaukee and send Bledsoe and Chris Milton to Houston in exchange for Westbrook. The question then becomes if that improves Milwaukee, if that improves Milwaukee or simply a lateral move. But by keeping Middleton and adding Westbrook, Giannis Antetokounmpo would have two stars to run with while admittedly losing their center in Lopez. Now, let's revisit the Durant analogy from slide one as he relates to this in more ways than one. When the Warriors signed Durant, it shifted the balance of power in the NBA, but it was not without cost. The Warriors parted with Harrison Barnes, Andrew Bogut, Festus Esley, Leandro Barbosa, and Brandon Rush in order to accommodate Durant. Was it worth it? Absolutely. But the overarching point is sometimes star power comes at the expense of depth, as it would in this deal for Milwaukee. So, why the Bucks should do it? To be blunt, the Bucks should do what is necessary to keep Antetokounmpo in town. If this is a move Giannis Antetokounmpo is on board with, it would be in Milwaukee's best interest to consider acquiring Russell Westbrook. It would be surprising if Antetokounmpo forced his way out of Milwaukee, but we've seen it before in other places, and it is a possibility. To avoid that, they should put the necessary pieces around him to convince him to stay. Westbrook would give the Bucks years of playoff experience, and let's not forget, he has proved he can be a walking triple-double at any moment. Pairing him with Antetokounmpo would allow the Bucks to retool and prepare for another run in the East, where they'll try to dethrone the Eastern Conference champs in Miami. Why the Rockets should do it. Trading Russell Westbrook may not be ideal, but this return would give Houston a rare stretch. Five in Lopez, who has added three-point range to his game over the past few years. The Rockets could plug Bledsoe directly into Westbrook's place, and he could facilitate for Harden when the ball is not in Harden's hand. The deal would also allow Houston to add some young depth in DiVincenzo and Wilson. On the surface, pairing Westbrook and Harden together in Houston sounded good, but the results were underwhelming. A new head coach will roam the sidelines next season, and it may be time again for a reset in Houston.
So there you have it. What could be the ramifications of a trade that would send multiple players to Houston while at the same time pairing Westbrook with Anthony Tacumpa and keeping a few main pieces there from Milwaukee if Anthony Tacumpa is on board then you have a more solid structure there. You have more playoff experience. So it'd be interesting to see if such a trade like this go down. Remember, this is all hypothetical, but maybe as that article unfolded and as you listen to what was being said, you may find, hmm, I kind of like the sounds of that. A lot to take in. Anyway, here in the area, we also have high school football on tap for tonight. Well, not on my podcast, but I will bring you up to par on some key matchups around the area. And of course, you know, on Saturdays, I do the full high school recap across the state of Kansas, giving you all the scores. So what I'm going to do right now here is I'm going to take a pause and slip in a word from my sponsor. And when I come back, I will have some more for you. So stay trained to stay tuned to the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, where I am your conductor of this train. Grab your ticket and get on board. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back. And now we're going to look right now at some college football. Uh, Week 5 preview, top 25 matchups in the SEC. Uh, Two games matching ranked Southeastern Conference teams, including the Deep South's oldest rivalry, highlights the fifth week of the college football season. Two games matching ranked Southeastern Conference teams, including the Deep South's oldest rivalry, highlights the fifth week of the college football season. Number 13, Texas A&M visits number 2, Alabama. Saturday looking for his biggest SEC victory since Johnny Menzel beat the Crimson Tide in Tuscaloosa in 2012. Number seven, Auburn goes to number four, Georgia, on Saturday night as the second month of the season starts, but only the second week of SEC play. The rest of the schedule features a rematch of last season's Atlantic Coast Conference Championship game between Virginia and number one Clemson and a return to action by number 25 Memphis, which has been sidelined by a COVID-19 outbreak since it opened with a Labor Day weekend victory. Best game, number seven Auburn at number five Georgia. The rivalry dates to 1892 and it typically gets played in November. Even before the SEC revised its schedule to an all-conference slate to deal with the possibility of pandemic disruption, the Bulldogs and Tigers were set to play the earliest date they ever date they ever have, October 10th. New schedule pushed Auburn, Georgia up another week. The major storyline will be who plays quarterback for the Bulldogs. Georgia's offense needed a while to get rolling last week at Arkansas but clicked in the second half behind former walk-on Stetson Bennett. This week, former five-star recruit and Southern California transfer JT Daniels has been medically cleared to play for Georgia. 
Daniels started as a freshman for the Trojans in 2018 and injured his knee in last season's opener. Bo Nix and Auburn are trying to build off a solid victory at home last week against Kentucky. Coach Gus Malzone's Tigers have lost six of seven, including three straight to Coach Kirby Smart in Georgia. The Heisman watch, Kellen Mon, QB, Texas A&M. Mon is no Johnny football, but leading the Aggies past the tie could be a program changer for the third-year coach, Jimbo Fisher. The fourth-year starter is a very good, is a very good if consistent player. He passed for 44 touchdowns and run for 15 more in the last two years under Fisher. Expecting a major breakthrough at this point might be a stretch, but the opportunity is there for him to have a moment that makes Heisman runs, as Menzel can attest. Numbers to know. Point nine seventeen. Oklahoma's winning percentage against Iowa State is 76-6-2. The Sooners look to bounce back against the Cyclones in Ames after being upset by Kansas State last week. Number three. Number of points permitted by number 24, Pitt, in the second half of this season. The Panthers tried to remain unbeaten against North Carolina State. 15. Games UCF QB Dylan Gabriel has played. He has thrown at least, he has thrown at least on touchdown passes, at least one touchdown pass in all of them. The number 11 Knights host Tulsa. 16. Receptions for Boston College's Hunter Long, most in the nation for a tight end. Long, the Eagles, Long and the Eagles host number 12, North Carolina. Long has 174 yards and two touchdowns. 23. Consecutive home victories by number one Clemson, which hosts Virginia after an off week. 28. Days from Memphis' opener against Arkansas State to Saturday's key American Athletic Conference game against SMU. Off the radar, off the radar, Navy at Air Force. The first of three games that decide the Commander-in-Chief's trophy might have sneaked up on college football fans. This is Air Force's first game of the season. The Falcons play in the Mountain West which postponed this season in August, but gave Air Force Academy the go-ahead to play its fellow service academies. Turns out the Mountain West will play fall football after all. It released this schedule Thursday. The Falcons will play six conference games to go along with Navy and Army. Air Force and Navy have alternated wins and losses for the last six years. Hot seat. Tom Herman, Texas. The weekly disclaimer that during a pandemic-induced financial crisis, it is unlikely many coaches would be fired. That said, it's without question a pivotal year for, for Herman. The Longhorns needed a miraculous comeback to escape Texas Tech with a victory last week. Now they welcome TCU. The Horned Frogs have owned Texas since they joined the Big 12 going 6-2. and two. For Texas to truly be back, Herman needs to have the Longhorns routinely 
beating these conference rivals that don't have nearly the resources he has in Austin. Horns fans will continue to question whether Herman is the guy to bring Texas back, whatever that means. So there you have a sneak preview into college football's top 25, along with some little bullet points to go along with that. So college football this week is shaping up to have some very interesting matchups. Can A&M go into Tuscaloosa and knock off the big bad bullies known as the Alabama Crimson Tide? Can Kansas State sustain their momentum and be a bad host to Texas Tech? Seeing that TCU is 6-2 against Texas since joining the Big 12. Can they keep that momentum going? Or can Texas learn from last week's lessons and put together a solid game and put this game out of reach early? They're going to have to do it offensively, which appears to be no problem. But they're going to also need to do it defensively, which seemed to have been a problem. So full slate of football tomorrow. And how many of you are going to watch the Army versus Navy game? Those games seem to always have some type of intrigue. I may watch that myself. Well, now we have us another story here, and this is Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony sounds off on why Phil Jackson's triangle offense was a failed experiment with the Knicks. Carmelo Anthony has had his ups and downs over this seven-season tenure with the Knicks and his time at Madison Square Garden will forever be intertwined with that Phil Jackson. Jackson came on as team president in 2014 following Anthony's fourth season in New York. Speaking on the old man and the three podcast on Thursday, Anthony went into detail about why Jackson, why the Jackson era didn't succeed, especially Jackson's attempted implementation of the triangle offense. He says when Phil came, it was like, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it, Anthony said. I've got to bring in personnel that fit the system that I'm trying to run. This guy doesn't fit into the triangle. I don't want these types of guys. So he started slowly picking the team apart and putting in his pieces that he felt would work in the triangle. Personnel was an issue, Anthony explained, as players were being shoehorned into spots that didn't fit with their style of play. We can't play in a two-guard front when we have Derrick Rose and Raymond Felton, Anthony said. We can't do that. You can't put Derrick Rose in a two-guard front when that's not his game. We need D-Rose up and down the court. The 10-time All-Star said that Jackson did not allow for much flexibility within the triangle. 
and said that teams eventually knew exactly how to defend it every time the Knicks took the ball off the floor. When you're playing that way for all 48 minutes, teams make adjustments, but you're not making adjustments, Anthony said. You keep playing that way. The ball will find you, right? Body movement and ball movement. That's what it is. Wherever you pass the ball in the triangle, that dictates what happens in the offense. When you start learning that and start figuring it out from a cerebral standpoint, it's like if they make an adjustment, we're done. If they deny the two guard front, we're done. If they deny the blink pick, the blind pick, we're done. So teams start to do that and get smart. Wherever you pass the ball, that dictates everything, Anthony continues. So guys are in positions that they normally wouldn't be in. So when they get the ball, everybody stays home or everybody gets denied, and now you have to make a play. And if you don't have those playmaking abilities, you're going to look crazy in the triangle. Simply put, Anthony feels that Jackson wasn't able to institute precisely what he wanted because he wasn't the one pushing the buttons come game time. The personnel wasn't there, Anthony said, but also Phil wasn't the coach. Because he wasn't the coach, it wasn't going to be run the way he expected it to run. So, there you have it. That's why the triangle didn't work in New York. And it's ironic that I shared this story with you because I talked with my good buddy, run the tables, Rick Thomas. And that came up in our conversation piece. And I said the reason the triangle worked in Chicago, not so much because Michael and Scotty, and not so much because of Phil, but because the guy that was the mastermind behind it was text winners. Which is why I come. Phil looked real smart when he took the job in L.A. and took that same offense with him to L.A. Who else did he take with him? Tex Winners. I believe Tex Winners had Tex Winners been in Phil Jackson's ear when he was in a position of office with the New York Knicks. I believe if Tex Winners would have been around, he would have said, look, Phil, you let the coach coach and implement his system. That triangle's not going to work. Look at your personnel. And you can't go getting rid of players and bringing players in only to find out that won't work. Basketball most definitely is a bigger game. Look, it's a different game today than it was then. I mean, look at Miami now. They're playing the zone defense that seem like some teams can't figure out. Well, maybe the Lakers. But they zoned their way all the way to the NBA Finals. You think that triangle offense without the right personnel and the right coaching, you think that will work against that Miami zone? I think not. So, there you have it. Why come the triangle didn't work in New York, according to Carmelo Anthony? Well, I am going to take what I would perceive to be my final break and 
get you ready for some high school football, let you know what games are going to be played in your area. And that will be my final segment as for me, the weekend is officially here. So stay tuned. This train is still building up steam and I'm your conductor. So get on board, grab your ticket. I'll be right back after this message. Okay, get you ready for some high school football. And what we have here basically are the uh, rankings according to class. And starting with class 6A, you have Lawrence at 3-0, ranked number one. They were ranked number one last week. And like there's no change in the top three, as we have Lawrence ranked number one, Olathe North number two, uh, Derby number three coming in at a 2-1 record, Junction City at 3-1, ranked number four. So that top four didn't change. Uh, what did change, Gardner Edgerton slipped into the number five spot after being ranked number eight the previous week. Blue Valley Northwest at 2-0, ranked number six after being ranked number seven last week. Uh, after not being ranked at all, Blue Valley at 1-1 one one is ranked number 7. Uh, guess I'm not quite getting this one. Not jump going down a couple of notches from number 6 to number 8. Undefeated Wichita East. Uh, number 9, Shawnee Mission Northwest at 2-0 after being ranked number 10 last week. And dropping down 5 spots be Blue Valley North at to the 10th spot at 1-1. One one. A lot of change up again in the rankings. Number 1 Lawrence and number 3 Derby were both idle because of COVID-19 concerns. Olathe North and Lawrence are the only squads that are 3-0 and 6A. There are no 4-0 squads. Blue Valley Northwest beat Blue Valley. Blue Valley defeated Blue Valley North. Gardner Edgerton earned a win against Mill Valley then ranked number 1 in Class 5A come by a combined score 134 to nothing. All four of Junction City's games have been within seven points or fewer. Junction City has averaged 33 points a contest while Derby is at 30.7. Derby remains in quarantine and will miss a second straight week. Bishop Carroll is at Lawrence Olathe North at Gardner Edgerton and Shawnee Mission Northwest at Aquinas. Several marquee matchups this week. Class 5A, St. Thomas Aquinas at 3-0. Mill Valley, number two ranked team at 2-2. Two two. Coming in at number three, holding solid at number three is 2-0 Northwest. Number four spot, Bishop Carroll at 3-1. Coming in at number five at 4-0, Mays. At number six, also 4-0, Hayes High School. Coming in at number seven. After being ranked number eight last week, 4-0, Hutchison. Number eight spot after being ranked number nine last week, Topeka Seaman at 3-1. Number nine is DeSoto at 3-1 after not being ranked. And slipping down from the sixth spot to number 10 is 3-1, Goddard. St. Thomas Aquinas moves into the top spot after his win against Raytown, Missouri. Without standout running back Tank Young, arguably the state's best player. Mill Valley lost its second straight close game, this time to Gardner Edgerton. Mill Valley All-State quarterback Cooper Marsh is hurt and did not play. 
Wichita Northwest was idle. Mill Valley has the advantage over Bishop Carroll since Mill Valley earned a dominant season opening victory against Derby and BC lost to Derby. Hutchinson will travel to Andover in a game scheduled Monday afternoon. Goddard lost to Andover Central. DeSoto earned a nice win versus previously 3-0 Lansing. Now we move on to Class 4A. Holding down the number one ranking with an 0-2 record, Bishop Miage. Number two with a 4-0 record, Paola. Number three with a 4-0 record, McPherson. Number four with a 3-1 record, Tonga Noxie. Number five, St. James Academy at 2-1. Number six, Andover Central at 3-0. Number seven, Lansing with a 3-1 record. Number eight, Kansas City Piper with a 3-1 record. Number nine, Fort Scott at 2-0. And number 10, with the 2-1 record, Bueller. Bishop Miege, the six-time defending state champions, has taken losses in the past, generally to five and six-eight Eastern Kansas League foes and Rockhurst, Missouri. Thus far, Mage has fallen to EKL rival Aquinas and to Rockhurst. However, Miege, with FCS recruits at QB and tight end, is still the leading contender. And over Central beat Goddard and Fort Scott comes off COVID-19 quarantine this week. St. James, which upset me age 28-27 last year, faces the Stags this week. Your 3A schools now. Number one, Andell at 4-0. Number two, Topeka Hayden at 3-1. Number three, Cheney at 4-0. Number four, Perry LeCompton at 4-0. Number five, Southeast of Saline at 4-0. Number six, a program that's full of tradition, rich tradition, which rich winning tradition, Wichita Collegiate at 4 0. Number seven, Holcomb at 4 0. Number eight, Holton at 3 1. Number nine, Columbus at 4 0. And number 10, Raleigh County at 3 1. Class 3A continues to be the deepest of all classes. Andell moves into the number one slot after his 17th straight victory. Perry LeCompton, which lost to Andell in the state championship game last year, had his standout quarterback, William Welch, suffer a season-ending injury. Southeast of Saline is at Kobe, 4-0, in a key district matchup. Holton is back in the rankings after a quality win versus league district rival Sabetha. Burlington, Cheney, Caney Valley, Clearwater are also 4-0. Look at you two in uh, class two A. Rossville at four and zero. Number one, number two, Hoysington at four and zero. Number three, Silver Lake two and zero. Hutchinson Trinity coming in with a four and zero record holds down the number five spot. Mara Hill with a four and zero record at number five. Nemaha Central with a two and two record comes in at number six. Garden Plain at three and one comes in at number seven. Norton 3-1 comes in at number 8. Eureka 4-0 comes in at number 9. And Haven with the 3-1 record comes in at number 10. Like 6A, this continues to be a wide open class. 
though it's likely the top three have solidified themselves. Myra Hill, which had rolled through a very soft schedule in the first three weeks, earned a quality win versus Republic County. Myra Hill will play Nemaha Central in two weeks. Norton Lyman, Christian Hawks, a KU commit, has been banged up since week two, and Blue Jays took an upset loss to Minneapolis. Hutch, Trinity, and Haven are in the same district. Trinity has permitted just 38 points, and its resume grows better with its 26-20 season-opening victory versus 1A Inman, now a 3-1 squad. Eureka picked up a quality win versus previously unbeaten Humboldt. And now we will conclude with 1A. Coming in at the number one spot for 3-1 record is Centralia. Number two with a 4 no record is Opie. Number three, another winning tradition program with a 3-1 record, Smith Center. Coming in at number four, another good program at 3-1. Number four, Conway Springs. Number five with the 3-1 record, Valley Heights. Number six with the 3-1 record, Inman. Number seven with the 4-0 record, Sedgwick. Number eight with the 3-1 record, Linden. Number nine with the 2 on record, Jackson Heights, and number 10 coming in at 3-1, Oakley. Centralia beat Valley Heights 20-0 in a Twin Valley League District 1A match. Centralia is 29-1 against Valley Heights since 1990. The defending state champion Panthers take over the top spot. Inman delivered a nice win against Oakley. Smith Center, which has permitted just 29 points this fall, will play Oakley at home this week and let me just go ahead before I close this out we have 8 man division 1 coming in at number 1 Kent Galva at 4-0 Leote Wichita County at 4-0 at number 2 number 3 Madison with a 4-0 record also at number 4 coming in with a 4-0 record Clifton Clyde coming in at number 5 with a 4-0 record Little River that top five seems very solid, all of them undefeated. Coming in at number six, two and one, Hoxie. Number seven with the two and old record, Meade. Number eight with a four and old record, Argonia Attica. Coming in at number nine with the four and old record, South Gray. And coming in at number 10, also with a four and old record, would be Sedan. And the last three I just mentioned, all four and old came in their rankings after not being ranked previous week. One of the best week five games is Little River, Canton Galva. Little River is the last team to beat Canton Galva in the regular season with a week one win in 2018. Canton Galva has won 17 straight games tied with Andale for the longest current run in Kansas. Wichita County bumps up a spot after its highly impressive 58-8 road win versus Hodgman County that ended at halftime. South Gray faces Meade this week. Wichita County has already beaten Hoxie, Hill City, and Hodgman County. Teams that are combined 7-0 when not playing Wichita County. Sedan gets unbeaten Oswego 3-0 this week. And to round it out, to conclude this, will be 8-man Division 2. 
And at number one, St. Francis with the 3-0 record. Number two, Hanover, 3-0 record. Number three, Victoria with the 4-0 record. Number four with the 4-0 record, Lebo. Number five with the 4-0 record, Caldwell. Once again, just like that last Division One and eight-man, top five teams are undefeated. Number six with a three and one record, Axtell. Number seven also with a three and one record is Wheatland Grinnell. Also number eight, Logan Powell Co. with a three and zero record. Number nine, Sylvan Lucas coming in at three and one, and after not being ranked, coming in number ten, Frankfurt with a three and one record. Hanover earned an emphatic win versus Twin Valley League District rival Axtell. Victoria beat Sylvan Lucas by 32. Caldwell has averaged 59.5 points per game. And there you have your preview of the rankings in Class 6A all the way down to 8 men. Oops, can't forget about this one. Charged in my head, number heart. Looking dead straight at it. This is my last one. Six men, and they basically rank the top three teams. And we're looking at Bird City. Shalene at 3-0, number two, Ashland at 3-0, and number three, Moscow at 3-1. Ashland ended Moscow's 13-game winning streak with a 41-32 road victory. So there you have it. Everything you need to know from 6-8 all the way down to 6-man. You've been listening to A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this broadcast. I took you as long as I could take you. So sit back and enjoy the podcast. Remember, this train is steady, building up ahead of steam. So I, I, I encourage you to get your ticket, get on board, and enjoy the ride because you never know where this conductor is going to take you. Once again, this is Anthony Smith. Sign off. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Take care of yourself. Have a blessed weekend.